everybody. I'm Gary Ebersol. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. Today, we're going to talk about having too much stuff. Before we get started, Randy's going to tell us about some letters from camp we've received. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode. One of my favorite things on Camp Codger is to open up the old camp mailbag and see what people out there, our campers, are commenting on. I have two great letters today. They're both about our show about seniors and pets, which was one of our most famous episodes because we got a lot of response. People, you know, hey, people love their pets, and Codgers really love their pets. So Betsy L. has this great comment. She says, My greatest retirement gift to myself was a puppy. Now that Jambo is three years old, she and I have earned accreditation with the Alliance of Therapy Dogs. Jambo and I are a pet therapy team, enjoying weekly visits with residents at a local assisted living facility. Many elders who have been dog lovers all their lives can no longer care for a pet and are thrilled to have Jambo sit with them. They pet her and talk with me. All of us benefit. And that sounds like a win-win proposition if I ever heard of one. Roger S. has a great comment for us. He says, I have a tip for old codgers contemplating getting a dog. Get a codger dog. (laughs) Older dogs are housebroken, usually desperately in need of a home, and are deeply grateful for you adopting them. You may encounter some vet bills, but you won't be spending big bucks at a breeder. Our lab mix, Goldie, was picked up off the streets of downtown Los Angeles by a rescue group. I can't fathom how she was abandoned, but now I can't imagine life without her. And I think, Roger, you speak for all of us. We can't imagine life without our pets either. Thank you both. We appreciate the comments. In a previous episode, you might recall that I have mentioned my cluttered office, and it's maddening at times. Not only does it seem visually chaotic, but it really is getting harder to find things. Is it just me getting older, or have I just simply collected too much stuff? Let me say up front, we're not going to be talking about hoarding, which can be a serious mental health issue. Hmm. We're just talking about the normal accumulation of stuff over our seven, eight, or even nine decades on this planet. We tend to collect more than we discard. We can thank Amazon, Walmart, and Madison Avenue for some of the excess. We're also in a culture where living large is a good thing, and minimalist lifestyles often seem small and meager. In this episode, we're going to explore the idea that maybe as we grow older, we should learn to live with less stuff. This is not the larger issue of downsizing our homes. At some point in time, we're going to come back to that topic because we think it's an important thing that our audience would like to hear about. We're also not talking about the religious extremes, such as the Buddha, who, for many, was the definitive minimalist. Today, we're just focusing on the more modest undertaking of trying to live a simpler, less cluttered life. By the way, this is a well-worn topic. Marie Kondo has built an empire on her (laughs) sparking joy method. And a Swedish author, Margareta Magnusson, writes about the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning. And that's not what... (laughs) (laughs) 
Wait a minute. The, the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning? We've gone off the rails already. It's, it's not as bad as it seems. The Swedish people are gentle people. What it's about is clean before you die. Clean up your house before you die. Clean up your piles and piles of clutter, oh, which isn't a bad okay. idea. That's, that's, that's not so bad. When I first saw the headline, I'm thinking, oh, Really? Okay. How did that get to be a New York Times bestseller? (laughs) Anyway, it does seem that many of us recognize a too much stuff problem. Guys, before I head down the rabbit hole of my personal stuff challenges, do you guys have too much stuff? Absolutely not. I still have some room. You can give you mine. mine. (laughs) (laughs) That was fast. You guys are both on that. But in all seriousness, I've got just the perfect amount of stuff. Except when you ask my wife. There's another judge of stuff. (laughs) That's right. There's a higher power when it comes to stuff. I think people tend to value their stuff as more valuable than it really is. Somebody else is much better able to look at your stuff and say, oh, you've got too many sweaters (laughs) or whatever, you know? I think it's really hard for us to admit that we have too much stuff. Yeah. What about you, Richard? It comes to a boil every now and then. There are three areas of my house world that are always peeking over the top. One is records, particularly financial and medical records. I mean, I've got those records going back 30 years. And maybe in the last six, eight years, you can get them all online. They're all electronic. But before that, they're paper. Those boxes are just overflowing. The second area is closet. Now, I keep a pretty good patrol on my closet. I was in a profession in journalism where, and a manager where I had to wear either a suit and tie or a sport coat. So I have still six or seven suits in my closet. Am I going to wear those? Of course not. I mean, the only thing I'm going to wear a suit now is for probably a funeral, not many other occasions. So I need to do some cleaning there. Same with ties, same with old dress shoes. I don't wear them anymore. They sit in my closet for years. And third area, of course, is the garage where you keep everything else. And I've got a lot of mainly memorabilia in the garage. All the kids' report card and their drawings and and their uh, awards, their soccer awards, their music awards. Those things I'm still grappling with. They don't care about them, at least not now. But my hope is someday they will. I find your suit thing interesting. When I quit working in a conventional job. I got rid of my suits and my jackets. I still have two weird things left over. I have all my ties. I don't know why. I've got no white shirts to wear them with. I've got no no jacket to wear them with, but I can't get rid of these ties. And then I've got this pair of Ferragamo loafers, which I, there's no place to wear them in Santa Fe, but I still have them. That is kind of weird. Well, as you know, I'm the one that started down this path of too much stuff because it does drive me crazy now. And then I'll walk into my office and I'll look in there and I'm thinking, I don't want to go in there. Any open surface is covered. The shelves are full of stuff. I go into the garage. The shelves are all full. The workbench is covered with stuff. 
I am a compulsive project guy. Some of those projects are rather serious, like building a house. But you build a house, you got to buy tools, you got to buy materials. And when you finish building the house, you have tools and materials. What are you going to do with it? It becomes your stuff. After I finished building the house, I said, I want to learn how to design electronic circuit boards. <laughs> so I built a pick-and-place machine. Don't ask. We won't explain what a pick-and-place machine is on this show. <laughs> a few of our <laughs> listeners might know exactly what they are. And then I bought a bunch of tools to support that. I got into 3D printing. I've got a 3D printer. I built two CNC machines. I installed a mini split air conditioner in my guest house. Guess what? I needed tools. There's something I want to throw out for us to think about. You guys have heard about the 80-20 rule. Right. 80% of all outcomes are derived from 20% of causes. If you're in business... 80% of your business profits come from 20% of your clients. If you're looking at your closet, 80% of the time, you're going to wear 20% of your clothing items, Mm -hmm. right? If you look at everything you have based on that and realize there's a big chunk, literally about 80% of what you own that you're probably not going to use very Mm -hmm. often, it's a new way to look at what you own, and give yourself not only permission to get rid of stuff, but a reason to get rid of it. It's like, why should I keep that thing? Why should I keep my ties? And I have ties the same way Gary does. I can't tell you. No, I can tell you. Last time I wore a tie was at a wedding. But since then, I haven't worn a tie. Yeah. Last time I wore a tie was a funeral. Yeah, same same idea. Yeah. Big, big life yeah. event. When you look at your stuff with a new perspective, the 80-20 idea, I think it makes it easier. I was going to say the reason I get so concerned with stuff is I worry about what happens if I go suddenly and somebody has to come in and clean up this mess. And I really don't want to leave it to B or my son because it is not a pleasant process during a difficult time for people. So that really is the essence of Margarita Magnuson's book, The Sweetest Art of Death Cleaning, The Gentle Art of Death Cleaning, that is. It's about basically taking care of your mess before you go. And that really is Mm. my driver. That's the reason I want to do it. Mm. Well, that's that's a good reason. I mean, that's a good motivator. Well, the other thing is, with clothing anyway, we hate to admit it perhaps, but a lot of the things that are a year or two old might not fit anymore. Oh, but you want to preserve no. the hope. You want to preserve... No! <laughs> I, I'm preserving the hope that I'm going to fit in those five pairs of blue jeans that I outgrew. I have the faith. I'm in control. If I were in control, I wouldn't have so much stuff. I think one of the other things that I read, or maybe something that came to mind when I was preparing for this episode, is the idea that you shouldn't assume that your children will care about all the stuff that you (laughs) care about. What's important to you may be, oh my God, what am I going to do with this stuff? You know what? That hit me about five years ago when I was going through my mom's stuff after she passed. She saved a lot of stuff thinking, oh, you boys are going to love this. Mm -hmm. You you know, you boys are going to want to keep this. Um, Me and my brother didn't want any of it. You know, sad but true. And so I started looking at my stuff with that same outlook. And it's like, no, none of these kids are going to want any of this stuff. This stuff means something to me. But it doesn't mean anything to them. But hold on. Randy, that's a point 
in favor of keeping it, perhaps. No. What it means to you. No, what you should do, Richard, is pack it up, send it to your kids, and let them deal with the problem. <laughs> that's a good idea. Because they that's, get to make, that's a great have them make idea. the decision now rather than later. I mean, That is a great idea. We've all had to deal with somebody passing. And in my case, it was grandparents, then my first wife. And all of those are painful times. And making decisions about stuff is kind of the last thing you want to have to do. Right, Randy? I mean, you went through it. It's horrible and wonderful at the same mm-hmm. time. I got to admit, I enjoyed going through all the family photos, mm-hmm. even though my mom was very lax in putting on the back of the photo who the <laughs> heck it was. This is like a photo from 1945. It's like, I do not know these people. I think, yeah. I think one of them is my mom, but I don't know. I got a kick out of going through all those. Mm-hmm. My brother and I spent a weekend basically going through photos together and divvying up his pile and my pile. It was a real sense of family bonding. The truth is we kept a whole lot less of that than we thought we were going to. But we really enjoyed going through the photos. One of the challenges I have is you go out into the garage. And Richard, you have the same thing. You you (laughs) look at it and say, oh, my God, I'll be out here for a week. And so you just walk away. It's too big to start. You need to take it from an approach of divide and conquer. And my idea that I'm going to try to apply over the next several months is pick a small project. And I'll pick one, for instance, in my office. I'm going to get rid of all the electronic stuff that I'll never use again. That's Mm. all it is. I'm not going to try to clean the whole office. When that's done, and hopefully that'll only take two or three hours, then I can take a break, come back a week later, and pick up something else. The idea of dividing and conquering Mm -hmm. and putting it into small pieces It's a really good idea. And I have a five-drawer metal file filled with all kinds of memorabilia. If I just took one drawer at a time, not tried to clean out the whole file, which sends me, as you, sends me packing back into the house with nothing done, pick one drawer in that five-drawer file and make that my project. I think you've landed on a good idea. I think you're both exactly right. If we have that much stuff and it, it feels overwhelming, we better start with a smaller project. And it could be as simple as, you know, I'm going to clear off my workbench <laughs> in the garage. Yeah. Pick a flat surface. Yeah. And it could be the dining room table. Wherever stuff gathers in your house, mm-hmm. start there. Start with a small project. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's too daunting. Oh, impossible. I came across something that I think is brilliant. It's called the snowball method of cleaning out. You literally, on day one, start by getting rid of one thing. And day two, you get rid of two things. And then three things on the third day. By the end of the week, you've gotten rid of something like 28 things. Every day, you have to get rid of a higher number. By the end of the year... You have cleared out so much stuff, it will boggle your mind. You're wearing your underwear all day long. (laughs) You've got no clothes left. (laughs) But seriously, if you did that, and I don't don't know anybody who's ever done that for a whole year. I think my wife, Allison, has tried that. As far as I know, well, I don't see anything in the room of hers anymore. So, (laughs) (laughs) Is she still around? (laughs) <laughs> Oops, sorry, Allison. 
That's why it's so clean. All her stuff is gone, and so is she. The snowball method is interesting. I just have this fear it will start compounding, and you have to rent a dumpster. Because by the time you get to the end of the year, you have 365 things you got to clean out in one day. <laughs> That's the problem with that method. But it does get you in gear to start getting yeah, rid of stuff. another way to do it. Day one is one tie. At least you've started something. Well, and also you start cheating by saying, oh, look at these 15 plastic forks I've saved. That'll be 15 <laughs> items, you know. <laughs> That's right. How many items is a box of 100 paper clips? Is that, is, is that one or is it 100? <laughs> You know, I'm afraid that our listeners are going to walk away from this episode going, those guys talked a good talk, but they never got rid of anything. My time frame for this cleaning is six months. June 30th, I want to be able to look around and say, I followed this plan. My goal is to be able to say, I've cleaned the garage, I've cleaned my office, I've got rid of things that I'm not going to use. And those ties, uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You can't honestly tell me you're going to save every tie you own. After this conversation, I would be so disappointed if you didn't get rid of some All ties. Right. Can I keep a couple? Just just two. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Sentimentalism <laughs> is the enemy of neatness, isn't it? Which is, does go to the point that you shouldn't toss out memorabilia. You, you'll be upset if you throw away old pictures of right. family. Those are memories I think we all want to hang on to. And as we get older, having the visual reminder, having the actual photo, whether it's a, a printed photo or a digital photo, I think that's still really important. But what about my bike, my 30-year-old bike that I took this incredible bike ride on one, one you, uh, month? You don't. You have that bike? I do, from oh. 1990. Why would you keep an old Raleigh or whatever it is? It, it was my longest bike ride ever. Take a picture of it. <laughs> I, right. You don't think it'll fit in a box? Is, the your box was. wasn't supposed to be a shipping container. <laughs> yeah. At the end of six months, you say it's all in a box, and then you take a picture of a 40-foot shipping container. That doesn't work. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll get rid of the bike. Well, we've talked about getting rid of stuff, but as we've just talked about, maybe you shouldn't overdo it with a Marie Kondo-like purge. There is an argument that you can simply enjoy your stuff and ignore the -the over-the-top declutter folks. After all, what you own and how you use it can define you and your interest. It's a balance. Simplifying your life can be energizing. However, enjoying what you have can be comforting. Let us know if you have a too much stuff problem or have some thoughts on how to manage the stuff challenge. Leave us a comment at this episode on our website or just send us an email. Join us next week when Richard leads us on a trip down memory lane where we'll revisit those forks in the road that we didn't take. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Codger on your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com or leave a comment in this episode at www.campcodger.com.